You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Now, this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of discipline for the rest of my life, you should say. I will be a person who exercises discipline. Now, there are several thoughts that come to my mind when we think of discipline. I'm not speaking of discipline here in the sense of chastening. There is that kind of discipline when you discipline a child. And, of course, chastening is a lot different than punishment. Punishment just says you've done wrong, you'll pay. But discipline says to this child that the parent or that God says to us that God has a future in mind for us and that what he's taking us through at this moment, this discipline, is his way of preparing us to be productive in the future. It is his investment of time. It is the parent's investment of time and energy in the future of that child, far different than just mere punishment. But there is another type of discipline that uh, we might think of often as self-discipline, although I hesitate to use that word because I want us to shy away from this idea that there's anything great about the self-made man or the person who, without any thought of God, exerts tremendous power and becomes self-disciplined, although there, there's a certain notable quality about that individual. I'm speaking of a person who has found the plan of God, has decided to do the will of God, and then brings all the energies of his life, all the thoughts of his heart, all of his intents, all of his decisions, into a focus, a disciplined focus, so that he might do the will of God. It ought to excite you to know that accomplishment is ultimately the result of a disciplined life. And this ought to excite some of you parents that I'm preaching on this subject who brought your young people to uh, uh, sign up, enroll in university. This ought to excite every student here because, you see, accomplishment is available, but only through the disciplined life. In the end, it's not the person with the great brains. Uh, you see, you can have great brains and no discipline, and what you have is a fool. It probably will not be the most intellectual person on the campus who gets the best grades or goes the farthest or accomplishes the most, but it will be the person who is disciplined. Some of you may have read that epic of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's, The Ladder of St. Augustine. In there, there is an issue there of success. How did he succeed? And you may remember these lines from that poem, which have to do with the fact that many times we fail or refuse to, to set our goals as high as they ought to be because we just think it's impossible with the undisciplined life that we live. But that if we bring this life into control, under God's control, then accomplishment is possible. Longfellow said it this way, we have not feet. Or rather, we have not wings, we cannot soar, but we have feet to scale and climb by slow degrees, by more and more the cloudy summits of our time. For instance, he says, the mighty pyramids of stone that wedge-like cleave the desert air when nearer seen and better known are just gigantic flights of stairs. And those distant mountains that uprear their solid bastions to the skies are crossed by pathways that appear when we to higher levels rise. And so he concludes, the heights by great men reached and kept were not achieved by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were slowly toiling through the night. Discipline brings focus to your life. You see, you could take a, a large amount of explosive and put it out in a field and all you have is an explosion. But you take those same ingredients and put them inside an airplane and focus them and direct them and you have power and you have flight. 
You see, it is discipline which takes all the energies of our life, all of our intellect, our spirit, all the great desires of our life, and brings them to a point where we can focus them effectively. So I believe every one of us needs to make the decision. I will be a disciplined person for the rest of our life. Now, if you will, please, you have your Bible open to the first chapter of the book of Daniel. Let me remind you that Daniel and his three friends were taken away in the last wave out of Israel during the Babylonian captivity. They were particularly chosen by Nebuchadnezzar because they were men who were acknowledged. In fact, we would read in verse 4 that he wanted men who were, had no blemish, but they were well-favored, skillful in wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so Daniel and his friends were uh, taken uh, there to Babylon. And now they have come to this point where they've been specifically chosen. And you remember what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to eat the food of the king's table. And then at the end of three years, they were to be proved to see who was the best among them. Now, if you will, please stand with me. I'm going to begin reading with verse 9. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head of the king. What was he worried about? Well, look at verse 8. He was worried because Daniel had purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. And so he had requested, look, let us eat our own diet, basically vegetables. And so uh, Daniel says in verse 12, Prove your servants, I beseech you, ten days. Let them give us pulse. In other words, he said, we, we basically want to go on a vegetarian diet. Let, it, let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink, and then let our countenances be looked upon before you, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as you see, then deal with your servants. And so he consented them in the matter, and he proved them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which had eaten the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink, and he gave them pulse. And as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. At the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These men, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you'll meet them later on. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even in the first year of King Cyrus. Father, I pray, trusting that you will show us this morning the importance of so surrendering all of our energy to you and becoming disciplined in this life you have given us, that we might be people of accomplishment, people who leave a godly influence because the purposes of our hearts are those that you have placed upon us. Father, I pray that every student here this morning, and every parent, every grandparent here this morning would see that when we bring our energies and our intellect and all that we are before you and allow you to exert your discipline in our lives and follow that, Lord, that those are the days when our lives begin to have impact and effect. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that on this morning we would determine to become people of discipline. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. 
Of course, Daniel and his three friends, later known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are famous. We sing about them today. We know about them. There's rarely anyone that grew up in church that does not know about Daniel or about his three buddies who were there in that fiery furnace and who escaped alive, in fact, unsinged. And we remember about Daniel in the lion's den. Those were huge tests that these young men faced. But I want to remind you that they knew how to face those tests because earlier in their lives, they exerted discipline in their life and saw how God responded to faith and to discipline. As I mentioned to you, they were brought away as young men. This was a wonderful opportunity for them, for them to live the life they wanted to live. They were in a strange country. They were separated from their friends. And they could have said, look, who's going to know if we break faith with our parents? Who's going to know if we leave off worshiping God? We've got a wonderful opportunity here to become real successes under Nebuchadnezzar. But instead, we read Daniel purposed in his heart. And he brought himself into a time of discipline. He encouraged, by the way, when you are in discipline, person, you will encourage others to become disciplined. And so he encouraged uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his friends, to do the same. And, of course, it wasn't very long before the disciplines of their lives, their commitment, their faith, was proven, tested. God gave them creativity. As a matter of fact, they came up with a little plan, and out of that plan it was seen that their way, God's way, was better as they exerted discipline. For the rest of my life, I'll tell you, I began to look over a list that I had made some months ago, and I said, Lord, there are several areas of my life in which it is obvious that I need to exert discipline in a different level than I ever have before. God began to convict me about those areas, and that's why I'm saying this morning, for the rest of your life, you should decide to become a disciplined person. Not a person whose life is out of control, but a person whose life is known as being in the control of God. Now, I'd look, like for you to look at three things, first of all. I'd like for you to look with me at the areas in which discipline must be applied. Now, all of them are evidenced in this first chapter of Daniel. I'll not take the time to read about it, but you're so familiar, many of you, with the story of Daniel and his friends that I believe these will come to your mind very quickly. First of all, there is what we might call bodily or physical discipline. And, of course, this gets a lot of attention in our society today. I would say that the average individual thinks a whole lot more about the physical disciplines of his life or hers or the lack of discipline in life than that individual ever thinks about spiritual discipline. As a matter of fact, we are a nation that's gone crazy with its focus upon the body, haven't we? And of course, it's important for us to remember that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is such a thing as proper temple maintenance so that we can be and do all that God wants us to do. But let me just say, as a rule of thumb, and of course here Daniel and these men exercising physical discipline, let me just say that what guided them in their physical discipline, however, was, now listen, their spiritual commitment. They didn't look out here in the world and look at other people who had bodies like they wanted or listen to other individuals who said, this is what you ought to look like, this is how much you ought to weigh, this is what you ought to do. As a matter of fact, they were moved in this area of physical discipline because of a spiritual commitment. They did not want to do anything with or anything to their bodies that would in any way diminish God using them as best he could and as most he would. And so they brought their bodies under physical discipline. They wanted to do those things which would facilitate their witness to God and strengthen them so that they could be the people, the young men that God wanted them to be. It wasn't just physical attention for physical attention's sake. And I'll tell you, if you read enough and listen enough, you will become consumed 
with thinking that the world revolves around your body and that the only way you can ever be effective for God is simply to look like the world says you ought to look. Well, let me just tell you that God has created all of us in a unique way and there's no reason for any of us to be sloppy in terms of physical disciplines, but on the other hand, physical discipline properly administrated begins in the heart. What I want to be and do is that which will give God the most honor, the most glory, and not attract attention to myself, but rather facilitate the witness, the testimony which I have. So there is the area of physical discipline. But there is also the area of what we might call the discipline of the soul. We speak of body, soul, and then spirit. There is the area of the soul. Now the soul, as you look in the scripture, uh, has actually three, three areas or issues with which we deal in the soul. Sometimes we use the word heart to describe the soul. And we think of it as our intellect. This is our reasoning powers. And our emotions, how we feel about things. And then, then our will. This is where we choose what we're going to do. And, of course, that's our heart or that's our soul. And it's very important for us to have discipline in regard to the things we put into our mind. It's very important for us to have discipline in terms of the way we feel about issues. Sometimes people just have runaway feelings about something. I mean, they, they get totally out of balance in some areas. And it's important for us to exercise discipline or restraint when we make our choices. And there are all kinds of things which affect the operation of your soul. Let me give you an illustration. You take an individual who for the most, let's say here's a man, who for the most of his life has made reasonable decisions. Uh, maybe he's been sound in investing and maybe his business has done very well and all of a sudden he becomes very, uh, very confused because uh, everything's falling apart. Bad decisions, families flying apart, everything. What is the possibility? Well, this is not always the cause, but as you know, for instance, in the book of Proverbs, it says that a man who commits adultery destroys his own soul. Now, you say, you mean go to hell? No. If you think of the soul as the intellect, the emotion, and his will, what's happened is he has turned himself upside down. He has had to choose against what he knows intellectually is right. He has had to steal his emotions in certain areas so he doesn't feel what he ought to feel toward his own wife. And he has had, in one sense of the word, to decide to do what he knows is wrong to do. And so he has turned upside down. All of a sudden, he begins to be like an emotional zombie. He, he makes absolutely foolish decisions in the business world. He makes choices which are foolish, and people say, I've never known choices to be made like that before. What's happened? Here's a person who has not exercised discipline in the area of the soul. There's a very interesting verse in Proverbs. You might just want to write this reference down. It's found in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27 talk about all of this, but let me just quote to you verse 23. Here's what it says in verse 23. It says, stand watch. Literally, the word is guard like a watch guard, uh, like a watch guard. Your soul. For out of it, it says, are the issues of your heart. And that word issues in the original language of the scripture means boundaries. And so he's saying here, set a watch guard on your soul because it is out of what you put into your heart that you're going to establish the perimeters of your life. And if you're putting into your heart things that are worldly, things that are the things that men would think, and not putting into your heart God's idea of who you are and God's idea of what you're going to be, the boundaries are the perimeters you set for your life will be far smaller than what God ever intended for, intended for you to be. And so guard your heart, he says, for out of it are the issues of your life. Well, it's physical discipline, 
There's soulish dis discipline, but there's also spiritual discipline. And I would have to tell you it is in this area that most people really find a great deal of problems. And they don't understand that the lack of discipline in the physical arena and the lack of discipline in the soul's arena is because they have no discipline in the spiritual arena of their life. If you talk to them about their life of prayer, if you talk to them about their life of Bible study, they'll be hard-pressed to give you the kind of testimony that would be honoring to God. University students, you know, I talk to them by the hundreds. I'll be going over speaking to a group of three or four hundred at one of our local universities here uh, this week. And, you know, it, it's so hard in the campus atmosphere to really find time, isn't it? And even find a quiet place when you're crammed in a room and there's so many things going on on the campus and so many things which appeal to you and pull at you and pull at your energies and you're up late at night. It is so difficult to find time to spend with God. But let me just tell you that unless you are disciplined in the area of the Spirit, it will be impossible for you to be what God wants you to be in the area of your soul or even in your body. It is there in the Spirit that we begin to grow. It's there in the spirit that we begin to develop into the kind of person God wants us to be. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to use their scriptural and proper names. Those men arrived in captivity having already made some deep spiritual commitments regarding discipline. No matter where we are, Whatever the society, whatever the culture, the mores, whatever the demands in our life, this is how we're going to live. This is, these are the disciplines by which we will conduct ourselves. And it's because of that that we are reading about them today because by doing that, they brought all of their abilities, all of their energy, all of that wonderful spirit down into that kind of focus that enabled them to have impact and influence and authority in their system. Who would have ever thought that men so far away from home who had a faith that was so strange to the one in whose land that they lived, who were actually captives and prisoners, who would have thought that one of them like Daniel would rise to the point where in all practical purposes he was prime minister, not only of that particular king, but another as well. And who would have thought that it would come a time when the leaders of the government in order to get at him would have to make a plot for his life according to the discipline of prayer in his life. It's when you bring these spiritual disciplines into focus that God begins to multiply and give impact to your life. Some of you want to have impact. You want to have influence. You want to have authority. Let me tell you, it begins in the heart. If you will take care of the depth of your walk with Christ, he will take care of the breadth of your ministry. But you must take care of the depth of your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the areas of discipline. Look secondly, you say, well, how do I acquire discipline? All right, let's look at the acquisition of discipline. How do you get discipline? How does that happen to you? Well, let me just mention a sequence here. And this is the sequence that is followed and is repeated. It is cyclical. It's repeated at a higher level. As you get to the end of one, well, then he, God moves you into a higher level and continues to walk with you in this arena of discipline. How does it all happen? First of all, Discipline must be communicated. Before these four young men ever got into captivity and ever came before Nebuchadnezzar, these were young men to whom had been communicated, listen to this, the values of a disciplined life. They had grown up as young men who heard Bible stories. 
who knew what it was when a man exercised conviction and discipline to be blessed of God. They did not arise in, in uh, captivity, bereft of, of Bible teaching, bereft of examples in their own home. Let me just give a word of caution here to parents. If you want your child to be disciplined, then there should be no place in your home to let an undisciplined life become a model for your children. There should be no place in your home to let, uh, for instance, success without application of energy and intellect and work ever become a model. It's hard to expect a, a child to be disciplined, for instance, and I think it's one of the horrible things about even the possibility of having a lottery in this state. God forbid that we would ever have a state lottery. It will destroy us, our economy, just as it has every other state. No matter what you're told, the figures always work out that it doesn't work, and what you do is put more people on welfare, and that which they get, they spend on the lottery. It's hard for an individual to model a get-rich-quick kind of idea and expect children to appreciate the ethic of work and diligence. It's hard to glamorize in your home, whether on television or on posters, lives that are totally out of control and undisciplined in every area and expect your children to be disciplined. It has to be communicated in the home. It's communicated in the church. It should be communicated at school. Everything you do should show the values of a life that is under God's control. It is communicated. Number two, it is caught. Now, not everything that is communicated is caught. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that teachers are going to say in classrooms here this next semester, and they're going to communicate them, but it will not be caught. But when it is reinforced by someone who models that kind of discipline, that's when it has the most likelihood of being caught. That's why we say that, if, for instance, in our evangelism training program, we just don't teach truths and take a test and go out and say, you've memorized this. We try to walk day by day so that which is taught is also caught. We take these who are involved in that and model that before them, and pretty soon their hearts are convicted, and pretty soon they begin leading people to Christ. So it's communicated. It is caught, and then it is confirmed. Let me just say that, that there are benefits. One of the things that happened in, in um, the lives of Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah was that God confirmed to them over and over the value of discipline. It was... God who brought Daniel into favor with them. It was God who confirmed the fact that doing things his way was going to bring success rather than doing things the world's way. So it's communicated, it's caught, and it's confirmed through experience, but it will also always be challenged. So it's communicated, caught, confirmed, and then there's going to be a challenge. And it's through this challenge that you're going to begin to grow. Here was the challenge. Away in this land as captives, they were challenge. What do you believe? Are you going to live by what you believe? Are you going to be a disciplined person? Are you going to fold here and just do what your friends say? Succumb to peer group pressure. Just be like everyone else. What are you going to do? It's going to be challenged. It will always be challenged. And so here it is. It's communicated by the grace of God. It's caught, and then it's confirmed, then it's challenged, and then you have an opportunity to conquer. Now, you could concede. If you concede, you go back to square one, and you start all over again. But you could conquer. You could say, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to trust God that what he says is absolutely right, and that the ways of man are before the Lord, that he ponders all his goings, 
And if I live before God, it is God who is the judge and the justifier of his children. And so then you begin to conquer. What happens when you conquer? Well, it's very interesting. Your discipline continues, but only at a higher level. That's right. You see, it was first the food. And then it was um, bowing down, which is a tougher test. And having passed that, then it was, would Daniel continue to pray to a God other than the king? You see, what was happening is all the time as they caught those disciplines which God communicated to them, as they confirmed them, met challenges, conquered, God just continued to give them a broader and broader platform of ministry. Not because they were undisciplined, but because they were disciplined. I don't think that much, many of us would know about Eric Little other than that at one time he set the record for the 800-meter race on a Monday, not a Sunday. But it was because of his disciplines, his refusal to run the 400 on the Sunday that we know about Eric Little. You say, well, that was his big test. Oh, no, that was not his big test. You see, that discipline was communicated in his home and church. It was caught. It was confirmed. It was challenged. He conquered. That just ushered him into a greater uh, platform of, of influence. And many of you know that Eric Little later became a missionary. And later, Eric Little died in a prison camp. And his influence is here today because every time he met the test, he exercised the disciplines of a believer. So you might say, Brother Tom, what's in it for me? Let me just mention several things. You say, suppose I choose. Here I am at the beginning of a semester. Here I am 50 years old. Here I am 75 years old. I know there are areas of my life that are out of control. I know that for the rest of my life, I should exert discipline. But preacher, what's going to change in my life? What's going to happen in my life if I bring my life's energies into focus, if I bring them under control? Let me just mention four things quickly. First of all, you will experience Christ. The people who really experience Christ are those who walk with him in consistent, disciplined life. Now, listen carefully. Most of us in our society, we want the zap. We want to go to a weekend seminar. It's going to be, make us a great student, a great salesperson. We want to go read somebody's book and come out of that absolutely changed. We want to come to church. We want to get a holy zap that's going to change our life forever. And one thing we shy away from in our society is discipline. But you see, once again, it is discipline that gives your life impact. You don't become an Olympian, a gold medalist, by being the best athlete. You become an Olympian by being the best disciplined athlete. And the history books tell us that over and over again. And it's interesting to me that we especially want to get some kind of holy, uh, you know, we want God to put the jumper cables on us when we come to church and whoa, leave there just saying, that's it, boy, I've got everything I need to live the Christian life. No, remember that Jesus chose men and called them disciplined men, disciples. And it was in the day-by-day -day exercise of the disciplines of life that they came to experience Christ. They didn't just show up for a lecture occasionally. They came to experience Christ in his fullness by 
eating, breathing, living, walking, talking, being with Christ and exercising the disciplines of the life of Christ. And it was because these young men exercised discipline, they began to experience Christ. For instance, it is God who brought these men into favor, the Bible says. And later on we read in verse 20, it is God who gave them more wisdom. You know what they could say? We have experienced the Lord. We didn't get this. The only expression, the only conclusion we can have is God did it. All these other guys were there. We expected they would find favor because they live like this. No, we found favor. God must have done it. Why? We don't know where we got this knowledge. It didn't come. God gave us this knowledge. They were experiencing God. Why? Because they were living life with him in a disciplined, consistent fashion. And so you will experience Christ. Secondly, you'll exhibit conviction. Undisciplined people do not exhibit, illustrate. They're not good visual aids to conviction. Because undisciplined people, by and large, do not have many convictions. They just sort of go with the flow. There's not much in their life they're willing to live or to die for. That's why I've said that it's easy to stand up and say that you'd be so brave to, to not denounce Christ that as if you were standing in a concentration camp and looking down the, the barrel of a rifle, they said, denounce Christ or, or we'll kill you. It's very easy for us all to sit in this auditorium and say, I would not denounce Christ. Oh, but what about in the back seat of a car? Or what about when a businessman says, look, if you'll just take this out of the table, I'll guarantee you'll get a good deal. Or what about when you're tempted to fill out your income tax and fudge just a little bit? Listen, if you will not be disciplined in that area, you would not be disciplined in the concentration camp. You wouldn't be big enough or good enough to do it. You've already proven your heart that you're a person who folds, who gives up, who gives way. And discipline grows by its exercise. The Bible says about our giving, it is by being faithful in little that God gives us the capacity of exercising faithfulness in much. And there are people who say, you know, all of my life I've been waiting for God to give me enough money so that I can start tithing. Don't worry, you'll never get it. Not the kind of money you're talking about because that comes when you are faithful in little. When you exercise discipline and faith in that area, God begins to give you more over which you can exercise discipline. So not only will you experience Christ, you will exhibit conviction. People begin to see that you're not a person who just has some beliefs. You are a person of conviction. You will enlarge your confidence. Your heart will grow bigger. Your belief in God will grow bigger. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a, not a big step to say we're not going to eat the king's food. But it's by saying we would not eat the king's food that their heart grew bigger in confidence of God and they were able to say later, nor will we bow down to his image. And their heart grew and Daniel came to say later, nor will I stop praying to my God. Even if it means that I have to spend the night in the lion's den, I will not stop praying to God. You see, what happens is step by step as you exert discipline, God enlarges your heart. Your confidence will be enlarged. And finally, you can expect commendation. Experiencing Christ, exhibiting convictions, enlarging your confidence, but more than that, you can expect commendation. You say, from the world, oh, the world may or may not commend you. I have discovered that even when people think a disciplined individual is foolish, they at least admire them for the exercise of discipline. I don't agree with him, but you can say this. He sure is committed to what he's doing. He sure is disciplined in that. Doesn't make sense to me. I couldn't do it, but you've got to admire discipline. And in the end, it's those people who achieve leadership. But what if the world never did commend you? God always will commend you. 
the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He ponders the ways of man, the Scripture says. God will commend you. It's very interesting that over and over it says that God is the one who elevated these men. God is the one who catapulted them into influence and to, to, uh, to have impact upon their society. It was God who did it. So strange, this book of Daniel, because it proves, like it did in Joseph's case. Here is Joseph, a slave in Potiphar's prison, who becomes in a matter of a day, like Potiphar's grandfather, saying he doesn't move without me giving him permission. One day he's in prison rags. The next day he's in the clothes of a courtroom. Why? Discipline just staying there and saying, this is God's plan. I'm staying with it. So would you say this morning, I know some areas of my life in which I have exercised no discipline by the grace of God because it is God who works within me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I will be a person of discipline. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a few moments we're going to stand. In just a few moments, our choir is going to begin singing the hymn of invitation. And dear friend, this is your personal invitation to come to Christ. I will be leading us in a time of prayer, and there will be people who will be coming to this altar. I'm going to ask our counselors in a few moments to come. They'll be standing right here at the front. In fact, I'm going to ask these men to come just now. God's speaking to your heart, and you just get up and come on uh, and, and meet one of these people here at the altar and say, look, this is a decision I want to make. I believe there are people here who need more than anything to receive Christ by faith as Savior. You do not have the confidence that if you died, you had eternal life. The thought of beginning your college career or finishing it, the thought of being away, the thought of living here. Maybe you're married. Maybe you are way up in years and you say, I know this. I need to settle it with God. Jesus is the answer. He's the one who died for your sins and has risen from the grave, is alive to give you eternal life. And if you would, by faith, repent of your sins and receive him, he says he'll give you forgiveness and everlasting life. And I would encourage you when we stand and when the choir begins singing, just come find one of these counselors and say, look, I want to trust Jesus. That's all. I want to trust Jesus. They'll talk with you and pray with you in a matter of minutes. A wonderful, wonderful change of your heart and your life as you're born in the family of God. This would be a wonderful red-letter day in all of eternity for you. The most significant of all, the day... You trusted Christ as your Savior. The people here who need to join this church, maybe this is your very first time, but God has brought you here, I would urge you to make that decision this morning. Come and say to one of these counselors, we want to join or I want to join this church as a family, as an individual, as a student, whatever. I want to be a part of this church. The people here who want to simply come to this altar and pray. There will be others who will be coming. You've made decisions in earlier days in our church, perhaps we're baptized this morning or in other services or joined our church, we've not introduced you to your church family, would you come and just be seated? Well, we're here where it says seating for new members. Your moment, your opportunity to respond. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand quietly all over the auditorium. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father in heaven, how I pray that this morning we would make the decision that that song tells us about to only trust you. Father, as we come this morning, we come saying yes to you. Bring people from all over this auditorium who with open hearts to you would simply allow you to be all that you want to be in their hearts. Lord, for some Savior, others Savior and Lord, because, Lord, we know that is the emphasis of your Scripture. And Father, we believe that when you trust Christ, you give him your life totally. But there may be people here who have drifted and in some areas of discipline you've not been exercising authority as Lord because they've resisted. 
Oh, Father, bring people to this altar to say yes to you in terms of becoming a part of this church family. Lord, may they find a home here and others to pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The choir begins singing. You just step to the aisle. Make your way forward. Folks are already coming.